Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us here on the DLBC podcast. That's the Discover Life Beyond Crisis podcast in a reverent conversation about trauma and mental health. Today, we're going to be talking about mine and Emily's trip to Disneyland, an update on George Floyd, and today's big topic, post-pandemic anxiety. Yeah, hey everybody, I am really excited about today. We get to talk about two of my favorite things, which is Disneyland and my anxiety, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, my anxiety was up actually this week. Mason, I don't know if I told you, but I got my second COVID vaccine at the end of last week and it was quite the ride, but I'm feeling pretty good. I get mine in a couple of days. uh, Yeah, in a couple of days and I'm looking forward to being done. I'm not looking forward to the possible side effects. I've had a lot of friends who have had the second dose and the second dose um, bringing more of those side effects, which is actually a good thing. My friend with a PhD was telling me I'm going to trust her because she seems smarter than me. But either way, I'm pretty nervous about those side effects, not because I'm worried like I'm not worried, worried. It's just going to be kind of inconvenient as I'm trying to do normal work yet being exhausted and possibly having light COVID symptoms. My first shot, I had like exhaustion like 30 minutes afterwards. And I went home and I laid down for a couple minutes and didn't wake up till the next morning. Uh, I felt good the next day. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, but that's not that unusual for me. So (laughs) probably fine. (laughs) My dog Gus was just slightly worried. Actually, he was probably less worried and more hungry because I didn't feed him before I went to sleep. Oh, no. (laughs) Could be considered um, pet abuse. I don't think. I think He's fine. Like he probably found something somewhere to eat, and you know, yeah. So just so that no one comes for him, Mason is a very good dog owner. <laughs> Gus is well loved. He just had a rough night, you know. I just That's had all. a rough night. That's it. Yeah. And he's a basset hound, and so mostly he just sleeps anyways. Yeah. Um, he's probably like, "Sweet, we're doing this again." Yeah. He let and he just he sleeps in the bed with me, so. He's probably just cuddled up next to me. Not that I remember <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had definitely a lot of the symptoms after the second shot. It was pretty miserable, but it was only miserable for, I guess, probably a full 24 hours. And it was like, you know, fever and aches and exhaustion and all that. But then now I think I qualify as a superhero. <laughs> nice. Right? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, I can walk into places and not be concerned about other people not being responsible, <laughs> which is nice. Well, I don't know if you heard it, heard this, but like the office supply stores are offering to uh, laminate your vaccination card for free. As of right now, when we're recording, a lot of them are doing it till like the end of the month and they might extend it. Who knows? But it was funny listening to the radio and hearing that advertise over over the radio. Yeah, that's awesome. I think now that you mentioned that, I'm gonna get a uh, like a lanyard and just like display it. Uh huh. <laughs> Maybe bejewel it and like <laughs> <laughs> do the uh, glitter glue on yeah. it. It'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's my week so far. What's going on with you? 
my week has been pretty uneventful. I mean, I work, I'm in the office. You're not in the office for your job, but my day job, uh, I actually work at a church. And, and so the, we've been open uh, for a while. We're able to stay socially distant because each of us has our own office and uh, shut the door and we can stay socially distant. But this week, nothing too big, uh, just just the normal workflow going. But, you know, moving into our event, you know, current events for this week, Disneyland is in the future for us. Yes, Disneyland, I was going to say it's officially opened. It's actually not officially opened, but the tickets are officially available as of last Thursday. Is that the day? <laughs> yeah, was that last the day? Last Thursday. Yes. Yeah, so we are one of the lucky or one of the fools that waited online for almost eight hours, but we got our tickets. Yeah, we waited. There's a group of our friends that we all go to Disneyland together very often, and we swore we were going to go together as soon as Disneyland opened up, and we were ready to go last summer when it was supposed to open up in July and then in August. And then, then there was no date. Yeah. <laughs> but we were ready. We were trying to keep hope alive, but it slowly just dwindled. It slowly dwindled and COVID finally took that away from us in the year of 2020. We call that the dark year. But now Disneyland is opening up and our friend group, like many millennials, in our in our group in our age group we we love disneyland and uh, so much so like emily when did you start going to disneyland with us yeah when did my life change forever i think it was probably three years ago or something and so here's the thing what you guys don't know about mason it's probably a lot of things because you know you're just getting to know him but he is extremely persuasive I used to hate no comment. Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. That's because there's nothing to persuade with right now. Otherwise, you'd have a comment. But um, yeah, so I used to hate Disneyland, uh, you know, for the reasons that people say. And these are people that don't know anything. But they talk about like the lines or like, you know, I used to be really afraid of roller coasters. Technically, I still am afraid of like normal roller coasters. But I just didn't understand. I didn't have good friends, I guess, because no one had explained it to me the way that Mason and our friend group have now, they've shown me the way. We've shown and her the light. <laughs> the light. And yeah, so it was like three years ago that you guys were like, no, come on, you're going to love it. Like, it's different with us and all that stuff. So I gave in and went ahead and did that. And then little did I know that on my first trip back to Disneyland, I was going to show up a day after everyone else. And you guys were going to speak the famous words about getting annual passes, <laughs> Rest in and, peace. which was say, no, it was, uh, it makes sense if you don't think about it. <laughs> and it completely made sense to, you know, it was like, as soon as we got there and experienced it, and it was so much fun, I just thought we, yeah, we do want to come here every month. Like, why wouldn't we want to do that? <laughs> Which didn't exactly happen, but we went. Had I think a blast I think it worked out like passes. every other month. Sometimes, like yeah, oh yeah, we every went a other bunch. month, every two to three months, we would end up going to Disneyland. But one of the cool things about Disneyland, and especially when you go often, you have like opportunities for magic to happen, 
And one of our friends that used to work with us at the nonprofit that myself and Emily worked at, uh, her name's Angela, and she had never gone to Disneyland. And for her, it just wasn't in the budget. And for us, we had already had, we had our annual passes. And so we were just going on another trip and we just wanted her to go so bad. So we decided that we were going to pay for her to go to Disneyland for the day. We were just going to all put in money and we were going to go to Disneyland. And so we got up early in the morning, as you do, as is custom when you're in Disney. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we parked and we got on the shuttle bus like normal. But the difference, well, the, the cool thing that happened this time was a family came on with us and it was just our friend group and that family. And the dad just started striking up a conversation with us. And he was explaining to us, like, his wife works at the park. They go to Disneyland every week. And it's just part of their normal routine, which made me jealous the whole time. Because that's the life (laughs) that I'd like to live is to go to Disneyland once a week. So he goes on to say, like, every time we go, we're able to bring, I forgot how many people, but he was able to bring so many people in one trip. And the amount of family members that he had he was able to bring like two additional people. And so as is their custom, they would meet somebody along the way to Disneyland and treat them to a free day in the park. And so our friend Angela, who had never been at Disneyland, who we wanted her to experience the magic so bad, actually got a free day just for riding on the bus to get to Disneyland And I'll tell you, like, that day was pretty cool. We were able to, like, show her all the secrets and all the cool things that exist in Disneyland, all the little factoids that we learned from too much reading about Disneyland. And it was a great trip. So if you are looking for a nice day to de-stress, I suggest going to Disneyland. And if Disneyland is a stressful thing for you, you're doing it wrong and you should contact me and I will help you plan the perfect Disneyland trip that is not stressful. It's true. I vouch for that. And just to say just the growth that's happened is I went from hating Disneyland mostly because of the lines to I was willing to sit in a virtual line last week for over eight hours just to get tickets (laughs) to go. So growth happens uh, in community. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we like to, we use peer pressure. (laughs) We use positive peer pressure to bring people to the side of magic and wonder. And uh, it's kind of an extra hobby of mine. So you hate Disneyland. Let me know. And most of the time it comes down to these three things. And then we'll stop with the Disneyland talk because those of (laughs) you that hate Disneyland at the moment are already tired of it. But if you hate Disneyland, It's for a few different reasons. One, you went to the wrong time of year. You went like when it was the busiest or you went with the wrong group of people. You went with a bunch of people that were negative and uh, weren't fun, weren't cool to hang out with. Um, Or you did the wrong stuff. Depending on the makeup of your group, your trip to Disneyland is just a little bit different with kids than if you're doing an all adult group. So, you know, give Disneyland a a shot if you haven't. And even if you have, do it again. 
But going on to something more serious, you know, last in our first episode, we talked about uh, George Floyd and just some of the guilt that people were dealing with um, for those who actually witnessed George Floyd's death. And this week they've concluded their their closing arguments. Right, Emily? Right. Yes. They just finished the closing arguments. Yeah. And, you know, and I had been listening little by little, just like little snippets here and there about the trial. Have you been listening at all, Emily? Um, I haven't caught as much of it uh, this week, but I have been kind of picking up on the the highlights and it was pretty interesting just hearing the, it felt like to me that the defense was grasping at they were grasping at straws trying to defend someone when the uh, prosecution had made such a clear case, I think. And so it was like, well, you know, maybe, okay, maybe he did do it, but probably manslaughter. It's probably not. I think if you see it, like there wasn't the intent. It just seemed like, at least to me, like they were, they didn't have as much of a solid argument for what they were doing, what they were coming out with. And, you know, for the defense, like their best outcome is fully being exonerated from all the charges. I hope that that's not going to be the case. And I think their best worst option is if it is manslaughter. And you did see them trying to make the attempt to make manslaughter a viable option. You know, the prosecution gave them a menu of different uh, charges for the jury to look at as options. Part of that is strategic because if you give them only the option of like murder one or something, then in the facts of the case don't exactly fit murder one. And like looking at the video, like on the outside looking in, you're thinking like, Oh my gosh, of course it's something like murder one. But then we look at like the actual, you know, the law, like the way it's written out to meet certain criteria. And then they go and, and they're in the deliberation room and they're like, well, it doesn't actually fit that criteria. And if you ever served on a jury, then you're instructed to, you know, follow the law, not your emotions. And I've served one time on jury duty and I know for my jury duty class, I don't know what you call them, group, we did stick to the law, to what was written. And we were making sure that as we were making our decision, yeah. that it was going to fit the law. Emily, actually, she went to, you went to a law school for your paralegal. I went to a school that has a law school. Um, I didn't go to <laughs> law school, which is, you know, it's it's a very thin line, really, now that I've worked with attorneys. <laughs> um, but if you're an attorney and you're listening, I have great respect for you and the knowledge that you have gained. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is the thing, right, is that they have to, they do want to give like the menu of options to the to the jury. Um, I've never served on a jury, but as a paralegal, I have written like jury instructions and all those sorts of things and stuff. So, and you're right. If you're looking at two options and it's not guilty or it's the most extreme, even if what you want is to get that most extreme, if it doesn't meet those different, what's required for that to be the verdict, 
then you can't do that. So you want to give them the options. I mean, my concern, I mean, I think that regardless, I always get caught up on if it's irregardless or regardless, but it's without regard, which means regard less. If somebody's listening and I'm wrong, please like tell us. But anyway, well, they actually just of, we can do a whole episode on that because me and my brother, he uses irregardless all the time and it's clearly not a word. But then is it which one's the one that like changes things every year by how we use it, but not how it actually Webster? is. Webster's that the one Maybe. Webster's one of them like included irregardless as a real word. And I stand against it anyways. Yeah. Okay. Well, duly noted. Thank you for that. But anyway, so regardless of what the actual verdict is, I'm really curious as to how like they're going to, the city is going to actually deal with the response to this. And I guess I say the city, but it's really going to be nationwide at least depending on what the verdict is. Yeah. I mean, I remember last year and even, you know, most recently in the, in the most recent case of police shooting in that same city, people are taking it to the streets and not in the fun way. Like the song makes it seem like, <laughs> like taking it to the street, not like that. <laughs> yeah. At it wasn't all. that. No, no, it was a much angrier and they're wanting to make a statement. And for that city and for our country, like I, I know, I mean, there's an exhaustion that um, has taken place. I know for many people and it doesn't mean like just because the exhaustion exists, it doesn't mean that people are caring less, but I believe that there's an exhaustion of this. And so, you know, my hope is that, you know, we'll see the needle moved um, in this case uh, as, as a result of this case. I hope that he is found guilty and I hope it'll be seen as a victory in this movement to re-identify what we want our policing to look like in America and bringing understanding to groups that have been mistreated by the police. Like we, we need this, we need this to come to a resolution and, you know, possible outcomes. I see if the outcome is guilty, I see, stuff going on you know in the streets if the outcome is not guilty also there's going to be stuff happening in the streets and it's just going to come down to what happens in that courtroom and i hope that with celebration you know i don't revel in a man's life being destroyed you know i don't want people to I don't think that that's that's what this means, Um, but I do want justice, Um, justice for George Floyd and justice for future victims of the police. And um, I think this will be a big step forward. Yeah, I agree. And it's going to create some precedent, both just like generally in the way that things are handled. But also, I think more importantly, there's going to be legal precedent and maybe this will if depending on the outcome of it, maybe it will encourage police to think differently the next time they're in a similar situation, you know, because now it's okay. This is what could happen because I'm sure 
I mean, I guess I can't really say I'm sure because I don't know him, but my guess is that Derek Chauvin didn't go out that day with that plan in mind. He didn't plan on doing something that could land him in, you know, I mean, it probably already has destroyed his life in many senses, I'm sure, but it can even go beyond to actually putting him in jail to go from being a police officer to that. That's not a decision I think that he intended to make, but that is, I think that police officers, I don't know, probably many of us need reasons to stop and think twice about the choices that we're making because you don't know what you're going to do and how it's going to, it is going to impact and alter your life. So, yeah. Well, and before we move on to our main discussion today, hey, I just want to invite any of our listeners here. As you guys know, or as you are learning, myself and Emily, we're both life coaches and we specialize in helping individuals who are walking a journey of overcoming their trauma and walking their journey of managing uh, their mental health. And we really want to help you guys out there. And so as a part of our community here on the DLBC podcast, we want to invite you to a free 30-minute introductory coaching session with either myself or with Emily. And in it, we will um, chat with you and we will help you decide if well, do a uh, an assessment and see where you're at in your journey. And then together we can help determine if we can help you um, from where we're at or give you um, some uh, resources and uh, some suggestions of how to get to that next step in your journey. Each of us here are walking that. Myself included, Emily has walked this journey and we're constantly in the process of bettering ourselves. And we want to help you um, by um, you not feeling alone walking through this process. We want to build a community of people who are on this journey and, and a community that supports one another. So there's a couple ways to get involved in the community. Again, you can take part in our free 30-minute introductory life coaching session. We also offer life coaching packages. And if you go to www.dlbccourse.com, you'll be able to schedule that free session with us. Or if you'd like to buy package deal, you'll save a little bit. And then we are also going to be starting to offer an online course that you'll be able to take to be able to equip you with the tools that you need to overcome all the stuff that you feel like is wrong with you. Now, this is not um, a magic wand. You're going to have to do some work. We know that. You know that if you've already been starting on this journey, but we'll be able to give you those practical tools to take you to the next level. And then visit us on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash DLBC today, you'll be able to take part in discussions and make sure that you like and and subscribe to that page so you'll get updates on blog posts, updates on our podcasts, and then you'll be able to join in on questions for our community um, for future episodes. So we really look forward to you engaging um, with us in any of those ways. Yeah, that's going to be a great resource, and uh, I think it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to building the community on there. Yep. 
So now to our main discussion. Emily, I know for you and me, COVID has changed our lives and maybe not for the better. One of our friends had mentioned a radio show that talked about some of the quote unquote good things out of, that came out of COVID. And uh, some of those good things that they were talking about was people being outdoors more and spending more time with your kids. And for people who that is true, that is can be one way of looking at it. But for individuals who um, are struggling already with mental health and struggling already in general, whether it's financially, the things that we need, or with our mental health, COVID definitely did a number on us. And I say us because including myself in that statement. Yeah, I definitely had some ups and downs in the quote unquote dark year of 2020. COVID, uh, one of the things that I thought was going to be a positive and then it kind of wasn't and now I'm used to it, I guess, is that my work, we went remote. So I haven't been in the office for I think maybe two or three times since March 2020. And that's crazy for me. I mean, part of the reason I took the job is that the office is in a really cool you know, part of Sacramento. And I really love that. And now I'm just in my house. And for the first half of it, first half of the year now, I didn't have a good setup yet. I didn't have everything that I needed. And so it was just like a laptop on the couch, which I know for some people, that sounds great. I'm not the person that that's great for. <laughs> Laptop on a couch means I'm going to fall asleep. Hence why, you know, college was... A don't tell her me. boss. <laughs> yeah, don't tell my boss. Thank you. Now I'm going to not suggest that she listens to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, I mean, it just like that was difficult. And um, being isolated uh, generally was difficult. You know, I, like you said, a lot of people talk about how you know, it was so great to have more time to spend with their kids or to get outside and all that kind of stuff, which it's like, I think that does sound great. I don't, you know, as a, you know, single woman without kids, normally that gives me a lot of freedom in this circumstance. It was kind of the opposite of that because it really limits the number of people they're interacting with and all of that stuff. And also at the same time, I almost forgot about this, but we here in California were battling with COVID and the fires like at the same time. So even the let's get outside and socially distance. Well, outside was toxic. Yeah. <laughs> like we could not go outside. So it was like, even if we wanted to break the rules and, and, you know, leave our house, we really couldn't because it was so full of smoke and everything, which I realized that I'm very grateful that I didn't lose my job. Instead, my job was able to transition. That was great. Uh, I had to deal with some smoke. My house didn't get caught on fire, though. So that's awesome. And I not at any, like, never at any point was I trapped in the house with one, two, three, or, like, 15 toddlers. I can't remember how many kids <laughs> friends have. But, like, that never happened to me. So, like, there's a there's a positive side to everything. But it was it was dark. And it felt like, it just felt very disconnected, for sure. Yeah, I know for myself, one of the big changes, first of all, you know, this is a first world problem, but I'm used to traveling. I like going to Disneyland or, you know, in COVID, I actually was supposed to go to Hawaii twice and oh. uh, not being able to go 
was not cool. And I realized that not a lot of people get, not everyone gets to go to Hawaii. And I had gone once the year before and had some conversations with people. Well, first I was going to take my grandparents um, to Hawaii, me and my sister and her daughters we, and my grandparents. We were going to go to Hawaii uh, because my grandpa was finally retiring and they were going to be moving and selling their house. And so it was kind of a celebration. And my grandparents had never oh, wow, gone to cool. Hawaii. And it was supposed to be um, this time last year that we went to Hawaii. Well, we, the shutdown happened. And, you know, then we, oh, had to, no. we had to cancel our trip. And, um, you know, my grandpa, he actually decided not to not to retire last year. Oh, wow. And we're still trying to convince him to retire this year. I think this is going to be the year. Um, so I hope, you know, I hope to still be able to live up to what me and my sister said we were going to do to take them to Hawaii. But another thing is I worked um, at a nonprofit and the nonprofit, we provided respite care for families in crisis. And so some of our families that we served, they, you know, mom had just, you know, made had multiple kids and had just given birth and maybe been struggling with with postpartum and um, once everything shut down we weren't able to take any kids into respite and instead you know we were trying to still serve the kids and serve these families but we'd have to do it over the phone and so we were trying to get you know creative by yeah (laughs) uh, (laughs) that's what i mean that's it's you know getting creative it's just so i mean it it's getting past creative at this point for COVID. Nothing works out the way you plan. And we're sitting here and we're talking to moms. And these moms are now, you know, who are already struggling with mental health issues are now, now they're not able um, to get that time in order to um, release some of the pressure um, so that they can continue doing what they do every day. A lot of the moms that we served, oh. they were sing- most of the parents were single moms, right. and it was heartbreaking. And you know, and for them, it was mind breaking. And then for us, providing that those services, and so many of us who have had experience with trauma and had have experience with difficult upbringings go into social services and go into um, the helping professions. And that's what I did. And I had, I had been struggling as I'm listening to these moms crying, as I'm witnessing the stress levels in these homes go up and up and up. Myself, I started feeling, I hate this word because it's over, I feel like it's overused um, so much on TikTok and all those places. Um, but I was feeling triggered oh, on the TikTok. <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I was feeling I was feeling triggered, you know, and and because of my upbringing, uh, my mom she struggled a lot with her mental health, and we were in foster care a couple times, a, a couple times, and we and the nonprofit that I worked for our our goal was to help families so that kids wouldn't end up in foster care, and now. You know, because of COVID, we weren't able to li- really live out that that mission. Um, so the, that was 
you know, a big change in my life. Yeah. Post as we're in the middle of COVID, I couldn't help people the same way um, that I was able to before. Um, And now, you know, continuing that vein of creativity, um, you find ways um, to still serve people. Right. And I mean, the thing that's difficult or what I would think would be challenging about that too, is that you are running as a provider, you know, of these services, you're running into the limitation on what you're able to do because of COVID and then their needs are actually increasing significantly because of COVID. And it's like the more, you know, the more that, that you would be able to jump in and help you aren't able to, yeah, that would be incredibly frustrating, I think, to deal with like wanting to help uh, those families and know what they're going through, or at least from your own experience, have an idea of what they're going through. And then to not be able to do that in a time where it's probably most needed. It's just last year sucked. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and you know, to boil it down. It's only, it's COVID only, is the worst. <laughs> it's only gotten mildly better so far. It'll make a huge jump once we get to Disneyland. But oh, Disneyland's um, going to fix everything, I think. Oh, it's going to fix everything. But even, you know, yeah. and it, even talking to other nonprofit providers, you know, we um, there's the um, what is that called? Not helping fatigue, what is, compassion fatigue. You oh, know, yeah. For people in the helping professions, my coworkers at that at that job, um, you know, we were, you know, some of us crying, you know, in staff meetings because of our inability to help you know and even like other nonprofits that we would um that we would send people over to for services you know nobody was doing what they normally did so nobody no you know it took us you know we'd have to call every week and 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 check in and also part of that check-in was checking with each other like hey are you doing okay (laughs) no are you doing okay yeah But now that was kind of an interesting thing with, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not I don't I don't work in a helping profession, maybe kind of, but not entirely. Not mm-hmm. like what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so but it was interesting just even being in an office environment and how people like anytime you'd have a phone call um, or you would have a Zoom meeting, which we've all come to hate at this point, but you'd have any of these things. <laughs> And it would be like, oh, suddenly you're having like group therapy. I'm like, you know, I was just like, I was just calling, you know, or jumping on this because I needed to discuss this one project. And then it's like, so, you know, how are you doing? Oh, yeah. And then, and I mean, it was sincere, at least like in the responses and stuff. And it would become this whole deep conversation or emotional conversation or that kind of thing. But it just was like, sometimes you just want to kind of go in and out. But there was this feeling of like, None of us are good, right? So we probably, you couldn't just go business as usual, at least for a while coming into, at least in the first six months. It just, because it seemed like too, there was an onslaught of different things coming up and news was happening all the time and the number of deaths was on an uptick and you didn't know if the person you were talking to had personally experienced COVID, if they had had a COVID scare, if they had a family member that had it. And even like for me, I had anxiety around that stuff because it was later in the fall, but my father actually got COVID in October 
And it felt really weird when people would ask me like, hey, you know, hey, how you doing? And like, I didn't want to, I just, I wasn't sure if I wanted to tell people that like that huge thing was on me because I don't think people really even knew yet how to respond to it because the thing with COVID is you might get it and be dead in three days mm. or you have no symptoms or you're somewhere in between, you know? Yeah. So that was a whole nother level or layer of the anxiety and difficulty that I had around COVID was just dealing with, which my father is in his 70s. And so he ended up having a pretty severe case. He did survive, um, but it certainly has altered his life probably for the rest of his life. And that also has really impacted my choices around uh, the pandemic. Like I'm young enough and what, like I could have waited a little bit longer to get the vaccine. But as soon as that happened to my father, I mean, kind of selfishly, I guess, but Mm -hmm. as soon as it was like one of my people, I was like, I need to get vaccinated as soon as possible because I want to be part of the solution for this. You know, like it just made it real. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, also a couple of things. One, if if I hear stay safe one more time, <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I just can't. Like, we're already past that, okay? Like, that was early pandemic. Yeah. That was like Tiger King era of pandemic. Like, can we just stop uh, saying, like, be safe? One of the, my favorite guys, he's on, on that's on TikTok and, and Instagram. Uh, it's his name's rod and his handle is just me period rod and he always does funny videos about managing his anxiety and work anxiety and home anxiety and insomnia and stuff like that but one of the things that he said he's like do you know what i miss precedented times (laughs) i just yes i I just want to go back to to precedented times like right now you know, in COVID, it was always like, we are in unprecedented times. We are uncharted waters. We can't, we don't know, you know, this and that and this and that. I'm like, I want it to come to an end. And right now there is an end in sight. You know, you talked about getting your vaccination. I'm I'm getting my second shot a couple days from now. Uh, by the time we go to Disneyland, I'll be fully vaccinated and and in California, I just felt like we should celebrate. I know, right? Well, I, and you know, <laughs> we'll talk more about that. But you know, the world is opening up as uh, you know, sixteen-year-olds will be able, sixteen and up, will be able to get their vaccines probably by before the end of the summer. Kids under the age of sixteen will start being able to get um, their vaccine, and the whole world is going to change again. And I don't know about the people listening, um, but for me, there's a little bit of anxiety surrounding that. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety around that. One of the things that I've been kind of noticing is it's like, is this uncertainty? Just like I want things to be able to get better and go back to normal, but I don't really trust it yet. And so it's like, you know, will things ever go back to normal or what is going to stay, you know, what are the changes that are permanent? And so, yeah, there is this, just this like post COVID anxiety, which, you know, post in quotes, because we are not past it yet, but 
this feeling that, okay, I know that I'm, you know, I wear my mask still. I know that I'm vaccinated. I know I still wash my hands at least once a week. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I just went back to normal Sick. on that. But so, you know, I know that I'm doing all of the correct things, but I mean, truthfully, I've probably dealt with a very small dose of hypochondria at different points in my life anyway. So I'm already always thinking I have the whatever the worst thing is on the list of WebMD options. So that concern is still there. One of the other things is like that I have anxiety about with coming out of COVID is where society is going to be as far as like some people have lived life as if COVID doesn't exist. Some people went completely like into their cave and haven't like left their house for the entire year. And then there's a lot of people in the middle and I have some anxiety about like how that is going to flesh out, you know, how people are going to do like how they're going to respond as the government makes choices to new things that get rolled out. You know, we're definitely in a time right now where everybody is ready to shout about whatever it is <laughs> that they think uh, is right or wrong. Um, and some of that is, I mean, I'm always a proponent of, of protest. I think it's part of um, our freedom as Americans and I'm grateful for it. But sometimes it's like, okay, <laughs> you could have, written an email about this, like, let's not get crazy. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, so I've, I've got some concerns around that. And I think, you know, one of the things is there were prior to COVID, everyone, you know, there's it's like pre COVID post COVID is kind of like how we're going to think of our lives now for a long time, I think. Hmm. And pre COVID, certain things were in place, you know, some people had, were at a great place in their career, or they had certain level of connections and relationships that they felt really good and healthy with. They had established clubs that they were part of or um, church that they were part of or school or all these things. And so we had set a, a, a level for our life and then COVID hit. And for some of those things, it, it kind of took the option away from us. It, um, it You might've hit a great place in your career, but if your career was... I don't know, stand-up comedy, right? Like those comics, they didn't know, like they weren't doing anything for months into the pandemic or, you know, something more realistic, I guess, is like maybe you have a great book of clients, but you're in, you know, the cosmetics field, you know? Well, now you can't do anything with cosmetology because everything was shut down, right? And so it, it paused their ability to continue doing that thing that gave them fulfillment. And... I'm sure that there's that anxiety about like, okay, well, if I go back into that, some people change careers completely because they had to make money. Yeah. But what does it look like if now, hey, we're post COVID, I want to go back to that thing that I loved doing. What if it goes away again? What yeah. if, you know, it drops out from under us, which is, you know, scary, lost community, lost connections. You know, I know that that's something that a lot of churches are dealing with where they closed. And they lost a lot of people because it's kind of some of these things we do out of routine there, even if it's a healthy routine, some of it's routine, right? Mm -hmm. um, like the gym memberships, <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Like you have, I mean, somebody somewhere Hopefully has it's a, a habit of, if you have a gym membership. Yeah, exactly. Somebody has the habit of paying for their gym membership every month. No, 
um, of going to the gym. And then can you imagine if that was your habit, gyms shut down, and now, like, how do you convince yourself to get back into that? It's hard enough anyway, you know, so. Yeah, well, and, you know, even people that we would consider, like, well-adjusted or healthy or whatever, however you want to use that term for those people um, that aren't us, (laughs) the people that are like. Jerks. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Even people who are more typical had difficulty um, during COVID because like you were saying, the things that that help make keep a person healthy, help keep a person sane. um, We just didn't have those um, those same resources anymore. And um, I know for myself, I've made conscious decisions in relationships in my life and things that I'm that I'm doing and uh, you know my thought patterns like all those things have been very specific and very intentional but in a pandemic world you know you all the um, coping mechanisms and um, tools that you learn they don't make up for the reality that COVID had brought. And I know in my book, Discover Life Beyond Crisis, we talk about a couple of things. One is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's talking about our physiological needs, our safety needs, um, the need for love and belonging, the need for esteem and self-actualization. And and in my book, I kind of reworked it because in for Maslow, it was a hierarchy. And for me, I see all of these things as equally important. And when one of these are out of whack, it really does affect your life. But when we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the physiological needs, those are our basic needs. Like we have food, we have, we have water and we have a place to poop. And we have like that. Boom. That's like our, our, our super basic needs. And then it comes down, then it goes up to um, safety. Do we feel safe where we're at? Are we um, secure? And some of that security, some of that safety, at least those feelings I know for myself, come from things being predictable. And when things aren't predictable, it's hard to feel safe. Even if there's no exact danger going on outside your door, it does it feel the world feels less safe when you don't know if there's going to be meat available in the grocery store which that was something that i found myself in early in the pandemic where i went to the grocery store and you know the only thing that was left was like a a 20 pound brisket slab that oh, i gosh. bought out of mania because I didn't know if I was yeah. going to, you know, I was going to have meat again. I put it in the freezer and like <laughs> I didn't take it out because for most of the pandemic or for the the part of the pandemic where we were in the strictest guidelines here in California, I kept it in my freezer. And then when everything op- opened up to where you could visit some people, we, we did a small fam, like a small get together outside at somebody's house. And uh, we cooked it in the smoker. But isn't that such a funny thing that has come from uh, the last year that anytime we say that we've done anything, we have to (laughs) 
safe. It was outside, it was socially outside, distant. Socially there distant. wasn't very many people. Like <laughs> we have to explain that yes. every time. Yeah, because I feel your guys's judgment. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would judge you, but I think I was there. You were so there. <laughs> I remember that smoked brisket. Uh, it was good. It was delicious. <laughs> In fact, we should do yeah. that again. Um, so we have yeah. our safety needs, you know, we and some of that security comes by being able to know things are predictable. Love and belonging. You have a community, you have people who you identify with, people who love you, you have esteem, you feel like you're good at stuff. You know, all the I always felt like I was good at my job, whether it was uh, my last job working with families. My current job where I'm working in a church and I'm working with youth and young adults and doing media stuff. But I, I have a sense that, you know, I have I have worth. And then um, self, self-actualization. self When we talk about self-actualization, first of all, I hate saying that word because it's so <laughs> long. And I am confident I'm always like over saying it, like I'm enunciating it too much because... I use the word so infrequently, but this is where this is like the top level of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, where we are now uh, creating. We are uh, putting, you know, putting a piece of ourselves almost out into the world. And um, for Maslow, okay. you know, he was he looked at this as a pyramid. You know, the top being self-actualization and the base being the physiological needs. But, you know, we experience all these things at the same time. And, you know, we look at famous painters, you know, who who were also tortured souls. Um, so they were so- right. self-actualizing, but also, you know, they didn't have they didn't have food. They didn't have a stable place to live. Now their paintings are worth millions and millions of dollars and of course we're talking about the most famous ones not um the typical artist right (laughs) the starving artist (laughs) exactly that's more the norm um so that's why i look at it more of like a wheel um rather than um a hierarchy because um we can do all of these things we are experiencing all these things simultaneously and on occasion some of those things get out of whack and I don't know if anybody, I'm not very much into cars. I hate fixing my own cars. I'm a terrible car owner. My grandpa uh, has <laughs> now, only now given up on reminding me to do things when it comes to my car because I get so irritated with it. Um, I'm just a terrible car owner. But when it came to tires, I still was a terrible car owner. Uh, but I learned some things. Uh, one of the things is uh, when you get your tires changed, you want to get your tires like balanced. And if it's not balanced, um, it can cause a lot of road noise. And uh, road noise, you know, like when you're driving on a, like a normal road and you just hear loud sounds coming from outside your car, your tires might be out of balance. And uh, wow. if they're very out of balance, it can be very distracting while you're driving. And I'm speaking from personal I'm learning experience. all of this. I'm learning this all for the first time. <laughs> like right now. Yeah. Live. <laughs> yeah. And I'm learning this only because I went through a lot of tires. And I would yeah. complain about this road noise. I'm like, oh, you got to balance your tires. And 
to me, that reminds me a lot of this idea that these needs are not in a hierarchy, but in a wheel and they're moving and they're constantly switching places. And sometimes they get out of balance and it creates a lot of noise and that noise causes um, really big distractions and it keeps us from really living our best life, our best life because we're so distracted. And in this COVID world, you know, I felt myself getting out of whack. My needs were, as before, I was very intentional in making sure that I was making that my needs were met in the COVID apocalypse. You know, you don't, you, the normal places that you would go for support, the normal places that the normal times where I would feel good at my job, I now feel so inept at my job that I actually switched jobs. I moved from, the job that I was at at the nonprofit and then started working at a church instead doing, you know, some, some similar things, but it was, it was just overwhelming being in that environment. So I had to make changes in my own life. But Emily, what about you for last year? Yeah. um, I definitely noticed that. And it, it was interesting actually thinking about the, the wheel analogy that you were just talking about is that like the way that one of the areas getting out of whack, the way that it infected kind of of affected (laughs) in a COVID world. Um, Yeah. The way that it um, affected the other areas because because of the shift in my job working remotely and there being no travel, part of my large part of my job pre COVID was traveling to the other offices and, you know, I, I do marketing. And so there's actually a lot of, interacting with clients in that area and there's like almost no interacting with clients now and if I do it at all it's just via zoom and that's not even that often anymore so like my actual job expectations altered pretty significantly and because I was dealing with a lot of anxiety I was dealing with hypochondria I mean I kind of thought I had COVID every other week you know for those first few months like the summer I just was sick all the time and assumed it was COVID and it never was. But because of that, it really affected my ability to perform at work. And I kind of just stopped caring about work or I allowed myself to think that I had stopped caring. And so I just, you know, wasn't doing the best that I could. And what that ended up doing was created a lack of esteem for myself, feeling like I'm not meeting the expectations that I need to be meeting. And then also it, started slowly to affect my feeling of safety because the same safety for me is the same as like you said, like having a safe place to live, being able to cover my bills is part of that safety for me. Like being able to know what to expect is huge. And because I didn't know what every day was going to look like with my job, because I wasn't being able to meet those, meet the standards that I had done before, I was worried, you know, am I going to lose my job this week? What is next week going to look like? It's just everything was so, I couldn't guess what the next day was going to bring. And so it really got those two areas, especially out of whack. And then honestly, because it wasn't clear, like I had some friends that are like, oh, this is going to be a year and a half easy. And I'm like, no, it's two weeks to stop the spread. (laughs) Yeah, stop the spread. That was the thing. (laughs) Come on, two weeks. And then it was like a month and, you know, but I thought, oh, we'll be back to normal by September, like school, right? They got to get back for school time. So 
Um, I made a lot of choices, especially in this first few months that were kind of like, what's that? Uh, like YOLO, which is not a thing anymore. I know, but it was very much like, <laughs> Hey, it's three months working from home. Like we're in a pandemic. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to relax on my things that I do, you know, to help with depression and all of that stuff. I was like, ah, oh, it's just three months. Let's just bunk- bunker down yes. and be fine, which is cool. But once you now have done that for like a year, you know, it was cute back when they were talking about the COVID-19 pounds, you know, <laughs> and like 19 pounds. That's cute. You know, <laughs> child's like, play. They just, yeah. People just weren't trying hard enough. That's what I think. You know, I'd like to see an update on that number Yeah. Um, now. But yeah, so it definitely that came into play for me. And I feel really good now. And I felt better actually prior to even the recent like feels like we're coming out of it and all of that stuff. Because even just like a few months ago, when it still wasn't certain, I was, there were some things that I kept in place, uh, which was like communicating with my friends and different things. And we were checking in and that helped me to kind of like a mirror because I had some friends that were doing a lot better and I would see everything they're accomplishing. And it was like, okay, so it's possible, it's possible to do well through this. So how can I figure out how to like, I, you know, not to be cheesy, but how can I thrive through COVID? Yeah. Um, but I put in some changes in my life and, you know, now I'm feeling a lot better. Yeah. And then, of course, Disneyland yeah. being open has helped that significantly. Well, and I think that's the way we have to look at now that things are opening up and, you know, we're having the uh, post-COVID anxiety starting to sink in. I know for myself, I'm already think like I already have this huge anxiety. I already have like a big personal bubble and in COVID it like grew at least two feet, maybe three. And um, I'm so nervous when I go to the grocery store and I go to, to put my groceries on the conveyor belt and the person behind me starts getting too close to put their stuff on the conveyor belt. You know, I'm already like, I'm kind of a vocal person when it comes to that. And I give, it's not that I don't care about their feelings. It's that I care about mine more where I just <laughs> ask them to back up. And I tell them, you know, they need to wait until I'm completely done. I feel so vulnerable because you have like the possibly somebody that's still in front of you. And <laughs> and when you go to the checkout and then you have this person that's coming up on you so that they can check out. And I don't think that's going to go away when COVID leaves and we get, you know, vaccine and things start relaxing. And, and in California, June 15th is supposed to be when stuff opens up again. And it's like. I think masks are optional after that point. We'll see uh, what it actually ends up being. Yeah. Um, but as we believe it when I see it. Exactly. I'm, that's exactly right. But as we're moving forward into um, now a post COVID world, it's a journey getting to that. As we're getting to that, we need to start putting back um, the things into our lives and finding and uh, ways to implement those things that held our life together while before COVID when we kind of lost our bearings now being in a, being a year into it we have a lot better sense of what's going to work in a pandemic world and then I even now I think that we have a good idea of how to transition into the post-COVID world and for this, I'm going to turn back also to my book. In my book, I talk about the life infrastructure model. And um, in that model, and this is just, these are tools. These are things that that 
help bring understanding. For myself, I, and in my book, I talk about the life infrastructure model. This is the things in your life that you need to have in place so that when the shiz hits the fan, because it does, mm-hmm. your life yeah. isn't going to crumble. So essentially, your life is held up by three pillars, your community, your identity, and your health. And we talk in, in health, we mean your mental health and your mental well-being and your physical well-being. So making sure that we're eating good foods that make us feel good, that that aren't adding to to you know our weight. We don't want to be weight obsessed. We want to be health obsessed. We want to be obsessed with being healthy. Actually, I don't know if obsession is the word that we want to use. We just want to be yeah. <laughs> health conscious, health right. aware. We want to make sure that the things that we're doing are it's going to add to our life and not and not take away from our quality of life. And then identity, you know, some of us have, you know, because of the pandemic, um, you know, we've lost where we're at and we need to refind ourselves whether that is implementing the new hobby that you've discovered that you're good at during COVID and now integrating that into your everyday life for some and for all, for many of us, our work brings a lot of what makes up our identity. Our work takes up, you know, more than half our life. So coming to terms with whatever transition that we've gone in And then if we don't like where we are right now, being proactive and goal-oriented and moving forward in the direction that we actually want to be in. And then creating that positive, supportive community. It's easy to get a group of people together that are just going to agree with you all the time. It's easy to get a group of people who are like-minded in the sense that everybody just wants to stay with the status quo But when you're building a community, you want to keep in mind that you want a group of people where you're going to make each other better. You're going to add to each other's health. You're not going to take away from each other's quality of life. When you guys get together, you guys feel energized. I know for myself and Emily, we're really good friends and we have a great group of friends. And when we were waiting for eight hours online, um, (laughs) you know, for those Disneyland tickets, it was a fun time, you know, and this is the thing about Disneyland and going with the right people, you know, waiting in line doesn't suck so bad if you like the people you're waiting in line with. And um, when yes. I think about community, you know, there's people that are in our lives uh, because of work. So they're like work friends. But as we get closer and closer to if you imagine like three or four rings and we imagine ourselves getting closer and closer to the center of those rings, you know, the people that are in the center, those better be, you know, for, I love this term, your ride or die, you know, the people that are going to yeah. be with you no matter what, the ones that you can bring like a crazy idea and they're going to be on board with it for at least five minutes, um, but then start helping you. <laughs> and yeah, then they're going to tear it apart. <laughs> then they're going to tear it apart and, and help you come up with a better idea. Um, That's right. And then on top of all of that, we have, you know, I, our faith and morality. And for everyone, that means something a little bit different. You know, I work at a church, um, but like I just told you, and it is a ministry position. So obviously, like I am, I'm a Christian. And that 
adds to my life and uh and that's something that um is important to me also i think that um we need to establish our our own i don't know our uh, gauge our own morality and determine what do we believe in what are the things that we stand for and during covid i think that this has challenged every single one of us i know as a christian you know as a um somebody that grew up in evangelical churches and then seen you know the kind of the transition that that has made in recent years what do i stand for and right. the same thing for you yeah emily yeah absolutely over the last year it was very important was probably best to have already had an established you know set of level of morality and your faith and kind of know where you stand on things because there was an onslaught of things coming at every person as far as where they were going to land you know so many things ended up being you know having sides and then for me uh I don't work at a church but I do also you know uh have faith. I'm a Christian. And, um, but even the way that I was saying that just now, it is a much more complicated sentence for me to say than it used to be Mm. for many reasons. But, um, one of the big reasons in this last year was, was seeing the way that other people that use that same label for themselves responded to the pandemic and, and to the different things, politics and everything that was going on in our world last year and still continues to happen. Um, and I think that's where it was, it's very important to, I I believe that our morality is, if you are a person of faith, um, your morality is going to be built or shaped by that faith. If you're not a person of faith, there's many ways that your morality would be shaped by your experience, by, you know, things that you've been taught, the way that you were raised, all of those sorts of things. But there were decisions that we had to make last year, even down to the simplest things of, you know, am I going to follow the rules and wear a mask? If you're a younger person, if you don't have any comorbidities, if you don't, you know, the list goes on, right? If you feel like you're not actually at risk of getting really sick, you could reasonably make the choice to not wear a mask. But I think a lot of people, and for me, my, I mean, I have some of the... (laughs) That doesn't actually describe me. I'm not entirely young and I do have some, you know, risk factors. But if even if I was, you know, in that category, um, I think morality would tell me, you know, um, one of the huge things of our faith is to um, love your neighbor. And if I'm not thinking of, yeah, maybe I'm not worried about getting sick, but if I'm not thinking of that, you know, elderly woman in the grocery store with me who could get sick, well, then I'm not living out my my faith or even just the basic level of morality of like thinking of other people. And those were decisions. And there's a bunch of examples of decisions that we had to make that were impacted by that. So it was a challenging year for me um, because, you know, lots of reasons. But I guess to say, you know, hi, I'm Emily and I'm a Christian <laughs> um, feels <laughs> feels a little bit different than it did a year ago, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, as we're concluding, you know, our time, you know, when it comes to faith, you know, I said that it's kind of individualized and we know that. And um, in my book, Discover Life Beyond Crisis, I shared kind of a poem that I wrote when I was um, in school 
Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm not a poet, and uh, but I I think that um, the, <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time is A Knight's Tale, and um, the group of friends were writing a love letter um, for uh, the main character, kind of like cooperatively writing this letter together, right? And it's for their friend to win back you know, the affections of this girl that he liked, um, this lady. And um, they end it. Uh, they were trying to decide how to end it. And um, the last person, uh, she just talks about, let's end it with hope. And I think that um, when we're talking about the end of COVID, post, you know, post-COVID world, let's end our COVID experience in hope. Hope that things are going to get better hope that they're the the needles of change are going to be pushed just a little bit further and you know at the very um minimum you know if you're um you know your your faith is you know is just this belief in hope which is yep. uh where my faith my faith brings me that's this is what my faith brings me and this is why it continues to inspire me um, is because it does bring me hope. Um, but this is just a a poem that I'm going to share as we're ending today. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and it's... All right. Uh, it says, um, hope is a light in the darkness. Hope is in holding your child's hand for the first time. Hope is planting and watering. Having faith, your flower will bloom. Hope is overcoming fear. Hope sustains life that is um all that we have for this show this week and remember to like our podcast subscribe to it leave a positive review even if you think our podcast isn't that good leave a positive review anyways because it'll mean a lot to us and come and be part of our community join us on facebook facebook.com slash dlbc today Come to our website, dlbccourse.com. Get in contact with us. And uh, we just thank you so much for listening to DLBC Podcast. And uh, we will be talking to you next week. Bye-bye.